One and Wonder Vine, Story of Nepal. The music in this audio has been taken from bensound.com and information extracted from various sites. What do you think of when you talk about Nepal? The glorious mountains, epic sceneries, and the good vibes that people give. It is all true right now. Nepal might not be one of the richest countries in the world, but the people here certainly claim that it is a land of peace where Lord Buddha was born. But Nepal was in a land of peace 24 years ago. It was engulfed in a treacherous war that started from 1996 and took 10 years to finally end in 2006. You can only imagine the devastation a country has to go through, especially when a conflict elongates that long. I don't remember a lot about the armed conflict Nepal went through, mostly because I was still very young. But I profoundly remember times when my mother used to rush us home down the hill of our village because 7pm was the time when a curfew would start, and I was told that the good guys would fight the bad guys. But years later now, when I finally read about the conflict of Nepal, I remember what my mother said back then, only but now I cannot distinguish which side is the hero and which side is the villain. This fine line is blurred to me but only memories remain of the dead and the missing people. The conflict left a legacy of a total of 13,286 dead. The numbers are not accurate anywhere because approximately 200,000 of them are still missing. Buildings crashed, innocent children dying in the landmines, destruction of industry, creation of women and child combatants, sexual violence perpetrated by both sides and violence of many human rights. The armed conflict that started in 1996 crippled the whole nation. But wait a minute, let's rewind it one more time and ask us how Nepal experienced a 10-year-long armed conflict. A very good friend of mine always told me, in order to know a story about someone or something, you must first know where they come from. Nepal is situated in the lap of the Himalayas in Southeast Asia, located between countries like China, Bhutan, Bangladesh, and India. Nepal was historically governed by royal dynasties, but 1990 was a turning point for Nepal, when King Birendra Bir Bikram Shahadev, the then king of Nepal, under the social pressure of common people, through a popular movement called the People's Movement, granted Nepalese people the liberty to form a multi-party democracy system in the nation, but executive power still remained in the hands of king. Before this period, the life of Nepalese were guarded by hierarchies, the caste system, the feudal system, barrier between the royals and the commoners and so on. But the advent of multi-party democracy increased the aspiration of the poor, discriminated and the left-behinds for social change and development. But nothing seemed to change. There was rampant poverty and widespread unemployment, injustice. The power was centralized in the capital. Marginalized sections of the society were there. Ideological mismatch was growing and the growing interest of India and Nepal, who allegedly backed the Maoists in resources and money to fuel the war. Therefore, the 10-year-long armed conflict of Nepal can be the war of grievances and not of greed. There are four main parties in this story that helped fuel the conflict that cost lives of a thousand of people, and they are King Birendra and King Ganendra Bir Bikram Shahadev, the CPN Maoists, the Royal Nepalese Army, and the Seven Party Alliances. We will come 
come to these players one by one. In March 1995, the newly named Communist Party of Nepal, also known as the CPN Maoist, was founded by Prachanda, his real name being Puspakamal Tahal and the party co-chaired by Baburam Bhattrai began to draw up plans to launch an armed struggle, the so-called People's War against the state. On 4th of February 1996, they submitted a 40-point demand to the government which addressed a wide range of social, economic and political reform agendas. If not met, they threatened the state that they would go to a war. Their demand were not fulfilled and as a result, a week later on 13th February 1996, the CPN Maoists launched an armed insurgency against the government. The People's War started mainly in four districts of the country, Rukum, Rolpa, Dadurkot and Salyan, which spread across the country. 73 out of 75 districts were exposed to it. To counter the People's Liberation War, the Royal Nepalese Army was later deployed, whose commander-in-chief was King Birendra Birbikram Shahadev at that moment of time. Even though the armed conflict officially started in 1996, five years of conflict period was exclusively fought by Nepal's police forces, not the army. King Birendra had been reluctant to use the Royal Nepal Army because he well knew it. If the National Army was deployed, then the small fraction of rebellion that broke out as a part of People's Liberation War will turn into a full-fledged war. But this all changed in 2001 when King Birendra and most of the royal family were killed in the ever-famous Royal Palace Massacre. Almost all the royal blood was wiped off of the history of Nepal and the power went to Birendra's cousin brother, Ganendra Birbikram Shahadev, who then deployed the Royal Nepalese Army six months later to curb the activity of the Maoist insurgency. What King Birendra always feared happened in Nepal right after the deployment. There was a massive escalation of the conflict and battle-related deaths skyrocketed. To combat the atrocities, the power, the ammunition and the strength of the National Army, CPN Maoists then created their own army called the People's Liberation Army, 8,000 to 12,000 in number. 2001 was the period where the conflict intensified, massive human rights violation occurred, and Nepal was put under a spotlight in international stories. Only after nine years of conflict in the nation, there was a slight hope of peaceful negotiation. Both sides, the Maoist and the Royal Nepalese Army, had faced humiliating defeats. They were brought to a point where they had a mutually hurting stalemate and wanted a way out. At the same time, the fight for democracy was still raising as a slow-burning candle from the inside to remove the king and set up a democratic governance system in the country. From 2002 to 2005, the mainstream parliamentary parties, also known as the Seven Party Alliances, stood against the monarchy and sought peace negotiations with the Maoists. A major step was achieved in November of 2005 when both sides signed an Indian facilitated 12-point understanding. This very same understanding set the stage for the April 2006 People's Movement, also known as Jana Andolan Part 2, a popular uprising driven by Nepalese civil society that forced the king to reinstate elected parliament and renounce all of his executive power. 
It then led to a ceasefire code of conduct, which was formally used as a peace process between the seven-party alliance and the Maoists. Finally, in November 2006, two historic documents were signed that officially ended the 10-year-long armed conflict. They were the Comprehensive Peace Agreement and an agreement on monitoring and the management of arms and armies. So it comes to a question why the 10-year-long armed conflict was brutal for Nepal and its wound are still fresh. In 1996, the year the conflict had officially started, 42% of the population were still living under the national poverty line. But the situation had grown even worse in the conflict period. One of the worst examples of such attempt is the Madi bus bombing where the Maoists implanted a bomb in an overcrowded bus suspecting that there were army personnel. This incident killed 38 people and injured 72. Even though Prachanda issued a proclamation that was indeed a mistake, the party had never really apologized face to face or compensated to the lives lost and injured. The scars run too deep. The other side story is the same. The Royal Nepalese Army and security forces increased abduction, abused, tortured, and killed suspects, spies and informants who were thought to be Maoist. One of the horrific cases is the incident of Doramba, where 17 Maoists and two civilians were taken by Royal Nepal Army, marched to a hillside, lined up, shot on close encounter, and executed them all. A statement haunts me every night when I read about the armed conflict of Nepal and it goes like this. My family did not overreact to whatever happened to me because almost every woman here have been raped, some countless times. Some have been so badly injured by repeated rapes by different army personnel that they are barely able to stand. Many sexual violence alleged rape, gang rape, attempted rape, and some cases of forced nudity have occurred, but most of them gone unreported for the fear of victimization and stigmatization in a police society. Even though the international human right condemns using child soldier as it is a crime against humanity, to recruit children in army who are under the age of 18. Maoists use many techniques such as kidnappings, false luring, or even started a system of one family, one child in the far western part, their stronghold, to provide child combatants for the conflict. Though repeatedly denied by the Maoists, there are many children who still face the trauma of the war in their adult lives. This is the real brutality, and it makes me wonder who is the hero and who is the villain in all of this. So why the 10-year-long armed conflict of Nepal should worry you and why it should matter to the rest of the world? I'm awed every time because the same people who ordered such atrocities to occur are now the leading face of our government as of 2020. They should have been apprehended for the crimes against humanity they committed, but strangely they hold prestigious offices and posts. Where did we actually miss the beat? How did we not get the memo? It is very important to understand the 10-year-long armed conflict because right after the Declaration of Comprehensive Peace Agreement, in 2007, violent Malaysia uprising broke out in Tarai. They've experienced a long history of discrimination and exclusion from politics and state institutions. They fear again of being left out. The new constitution so formed in 2015 was meant to achieve the peace processes, but it failed to address the concerns of the Medici. 
The violent protests of 2017 in Tarai have left over 50 dead. The fear is the same. The 10-year-long armed conflict evolved due to grievances because some factions were left out of the process, some were poor, some were discriminated, and rampant inequalities existed. Tell me how the situation of Tarai is any different now. Assure me how there isn't or won't be another armed conflict, birth of another People's Liberation Army, when grievances still run high. The future of Nepal is uncertain, only time will tell, but right now the biggest strength we can do is talk, share and notice. Notice them, notice Nepal. That's a story for you about Nepal and its 10-year-long armed conflict, which started from 1996 and formally ended in 2006, but the tensions still rise high, here on your podcast One-on-One Rewind. My name is Anusha Maharjan, and you can share this story on your social media with the hashtag NoticeTheWarThePeace. And you can even follow me in my Instagram at azuza underscore or write to me at 11rewind at gmail.com. 11 as in E-L-E-V-E-N. Until next time, I wish more power to you and the world you live in. Peace.